Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Tenacity Strength Fit for Duty podcast. I am your host, Larry Brown. Our host, Vaughn Atene, is still being Batman and swinging from building and saving Gotham City as we speak. So uh, we thank you for joining us. He'll be back on the podcast at some point. Uh, I actually spoke with him, and he's he's ready to go. It's just a matter of when. Uh, but without further ado today, I want to introduce uh, my guest, who is uh, probably one of the better prep coaches you've never heard of. Uh, it's kind of been a following. It's kind of been a theme with a couple of guests here. And some of you may have heard of him, but if you haven't, I'd like to introduce to you Mr. Austin Stout from Ohio. Austin, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on. Um, I do appreciate it. No problem. No problem. So, you know, I've a little backstory. When I was working with uh, muscular development and flex, I always got these friend requests from people who have seen me online, um, have seen interviews or have seen things I've put out on social media because I've been on Twitter and Facebook for a long time. Um, and I believe you were one of the guys that did it, actually. Um, so a lot of people don't know who you are. Explain what you do, because we know you're a coach. Most of us know you're a coach, but you have your own company. And tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, uh, where, how you grew up and what attracted you to bodybuilding. Yeah, sure. So um, I have I've actually been in this space for quite a while. So it's it's uh, I'm not like some people who have kind of just jumped into social media and then, you know, tried to build that that following. And then here they are. Um, I mean, I was coaching pre Instagram, you know what I mean? That's like, that's when I started. So, um, been around a little while started in the forums, right. Mm -hmm. Um, I was, a, I was an athlete in high school. I was a wrestler and that, you know, what I found was a lot of the, a lot of the information that I was finding in terms of like nutrition and training, they were all bodybuilders, right. Or they were nutrition or they were fitness publications of some kind. Right. I mean, so I thought, wow, you know, these people have, these people have the information. It's everything I'm seeing is coming from these types of publications or forums or whatever it is. And that's really what got me interested initially, uh, in this space. Right. So after I had, and, and it did help my performance a lot, you know, I got a lot better. And after I kind of completed that, I went straight into, um, I went into the personal training space, which I think a lot of people kind of start there, like the, the one-on-one, they start in the gym, you know, what have you. And I just kind of worked my way up. I found that there were people that they needed help with nutrition. So I did, I did it for free. Right. I mean, I wasn't charging anything for people at first. I kind of started, that's how I started out. Then I realized, Oh, people want to start paying me for this. This might be something I can make some extra money at. Now at the time, there were very few coaches compared to what there are now. Very few. Like, and there were even less that you even knew about, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, I was like, oh, well, I don't know that this is like a really uh, viable career at the time, right? Um, mm-hmm. I was in college, I was going to college for some kind of medical degree. I was thinking like physical therapy is kind of what I was leaning towards. It actually changed that to from a master's degree to a PhD at the time. Like, I wasn't all that interested in going to school for eight years and being you know, hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars in debt or whatever. And I was accumulating this client interest in nutritionally and I was helping some bodybuilders and stuff. And I was bodybuilding, competing myself. I competed at 18 was when I started, I'll be 31 this year. So I've been doing it a little while, 
Um, and it's like, wow, you know, this might be something. And I really just took the plunge in and I, I went for it. I was broke. So I had nothing to lose. Like I wasn't going to get any broker, you know, I wasn't going to like, mm-hmm. like I wasn't going to lose anything trying. Right. Um, so I've essentially been self-employed. My primary income has been self-employment pretty much my whole entire adult life. Um, and then I built my business uh, lots of times throughout that where I thought I was going to have to quit and go get a, you know, fill out an application somewhere and, and get a job. And I just kept, uh, I just kept pushing through. Um, and I've accumulated interest throughout the years because I think, I think I do some things that are really kind of progressive in the field in terms of like how I view things and, you know, how I look at the body and how I make, you know, look at how everything functions and it slowly caught on. Like we're seeing it in, we're seeing it in the space now. Like people are understanding the importance of, you know, the health and how the body works and like doing all these things and how it makes people look better and perform better. Right. And mm-hmm. also how it's, and also how it's like protecting people from potentially, you know, harmful things that we know can happen because we're doing extreme stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, that really brings us to now, like I do, yeah, I, I prep people. Um, I work with everyone. I mean, I work with anyone from bodybuilders to moms, dads, uh, athletes, um, I do a lot of like functional health type of cases now too, you know, hormonal issues, digestion, like all that stuff. And uh, I do a mentorship program where I teach people. Um, there are probably a lot of coaches that people know of that have actually worked with me. They might not know that, but they probably worked with me. There's quite a few bigger name people. Um, so, I, I mean, I kind of got my hands in the pot everywhere at this point. Okay. That's where we're at right now. And that's how your company, um, I don't want to butcher the name, Integrated Muscle and Health came about. That's it. Yeah, um, that's it. That's, you know, at first I just, I needed a company name, right? Because I, I, for my taxes and like legal, you know, legality stuff. So I, I registered the name and uh, yeah, but most people know me by my name more so than the company. I'm, um, I don't have like a big entourage of employees or anything like that so okay that's where we're at now you brought up uh you started competing at 18 um why do you still think the team bodybuilder space is uh as important or as prevalent is it isn't it basically what i'm asking is it vital to the growth of the sport I mean, you'd like, I'd like to think that it is, I'd like to think that, you know, getting interest at a young age is, but at the same time, what I see happen a lot of the time is these people that they don't really understand longevity and they don't really understand the process of what it really takes to become good at the sport or really like get to your full potential. And they fizzle out, you know what I mean? Like a lot of these people, they, they fizzle out. Um, Of course, there's always anomalies. Like there's, if someone's going to be an absolute, you know, top tier person, we're going to know that early on in their career. Like it's not going to take long for us to, to realize that. Right. Um, but for other people that are maybe more average, it's really a, it's a matter of time, right? It's a time game that we play and just, you know, how long can we do this and stay in one piece and continue to make small progressions over extended period of time. But what I find is that younger people, especially have this kind of um, 
initial emotional like emotional reaction to getting into this oh it's cool like it's it's badass and do it you know and then they fizzle out because it's hard and then they realize it's very boring and monotonous and time consuming and whatever else right so they uh and it's even like that with i mean we've even seen that with really high tier people i mean we can think of some people that were probably 18 19 20 that were absolute units right that then they they had all this pressure on them they didn't really like bodybuilding that much. They kind of fizzled out after a few years. I mean, we've got guys like teens, think of teens like Cody Lewis, Trey Brewer. I mean, remember those guys, right? Yeah. I like, just had a conversation about Cody Lewis the other day. So, you know, there's examples of, there's examples of like people that were really upper echelon now. And it could be a combination of things. I mean, it's pressure from sponsors. It's pressure from other people telling them they're going to be this and that. And of course, it's probably a matter of they gassed. They were way too gassed out way too early. And they, you know, and then they, they basically got tired of it. Um, so it's tough. I, I do think younger people, it's great for younger people, but they need to understand the context of this long game. You know what I mean? It's uh, I'm only 31. I'll be 31. Like I said, so I, I don't consider, I consider myself kind of in the midpoint of my, you know, career, I guess, if you will. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But dude, at 18, I I didn't know jack shit. Like I not can relative to now, you know? So I, I think it's just the information bridge and what we have available to us. Because so I'm 40, I'll be 42 in August. Right. So I've seen people come and go on a, on a very high level. And when I came in, all you had was the magazines, like just to put it into perspective, you got teens that talk about, you know, drugs and all of that on open forums and will sometimes actually get a response from notable people. It was an issue back in 1995, 1994, when Flex Magazine started writing about drug uses and actually had a cited section inside of Flex. Uh, I forgot what it was called, but it was made out of newspaper material and it was published every month. And it was like that was ahead of its time. So the information that we had back then, while very rudimentary, uh, there was some outlets that were actually trying to help because they saw the abuse that was going on and they're like, okay, we need to not, we need to not have this go on. We have a vehicle, but it fizzled out real fast. I don't know if it was a legal issue or anything like that, but the information is just so, so crazy. And I think what a lot of people do too, is that they look to winners. We look at the Hunter Labradas, we look at the Sergio Olivas and young guys look at that and say, that's what I want, but they don't see the years of work that's and the progression behind that. Sure. Yeah, sure. And they don't, and they also don't understand context. Like they don't understand the context that, I mean, Hunter Labrada is Hunter Labrada. He's works hard and he's obviously doing things right, but I can't do what Hunter Labrada doesn't expect the same result. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, you know, it's not like, yeah. like, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I work with clients on all levels. I, I have, I have people doing national shows this year that are, that are, you know, good enough. They're towards that pro level. And I have other people, man, they work just as hard and they do everything right. And like the reality of the situation is just that 
they just don't have the genetics. You know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. not, it's not to say that it's just something that people need to understand early on. And it takes a little while. Like I'm not saying that somebody that's maybe more average can't go pretty far because we've seen examples of it. Sure. But there does come a point where we get a few years in, you know, three, four, five years in, and we're like, we have a pretty good picture of kind of what that potential is at that point. You know what I mean? Like we're like, if we're five years in and you're doing things right, we're going to know if you're going to be a freak or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like by that time, you know. And that's, that's, that's absolutely true. Um, you, you even know if you're going to be good on a national level, like you just have to have that awareness and be truthful with yourself. Um, and, a, and for some reason, this sport breeds delusion. Sure. I, I'm not absolutely sure why, uh, seeing as that we have so many, quote, keeping it real people within this within this sphere. Yeah. Now, I, I want to stay on team bodybuilding a bit because I don't think it's like we all know teenagers ain't got no money, period. Like they're still staying sure. at home with mom and daddy. But I want to stay on this just for for a little bit longer and then we'll move on how can we construct a team bodybuilder to get ready for their first show and post first show how can we build them up to that team national level provided that they do know what it's going to take and not even from a pharmacological side of things we'll we'll leave farm out because i do believe that you should stay natural up until you're about, oh, 25. That's just my opinion. Well, well let's approach the natural team bodybuilder. What, 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 do, what do we want to do to get them to go from decent to at least good? Okay. Yeah, that's a great question. So I think personally, I'm actually, I get pretty excited when I get someone that's really green and naive about things. And the reason that I like that is because that gives me an opportunity to influence them rather than them already be completely influenced by maybe stuff that's not correct. Right. Or them have like a, or them have like a unrealistic expectation or, or, you know, view of reality. Like they've, they've seen way too much social media already and they're already like set on this is how it's going to be. So I like to get those people that are maybe a little more green and I can lay those foundations um, because what we'd see online now is there is high level information, which is great. I'm not saying it's bad. It's great, but we're missing, you know, it's like cart before the, you know, horse type of thing. Like we're just getting all these people that are, they're just, you know, basically mental masturbation, all these over this minutia and they have no, they have no foundation. They're missing the blocks, right? They're missing the building blocks. And you get the people that are doing this for years and years and years but if we can bring it back down and understand the simple level. So for a teenager, what's, what things can we do for a teenager that are going to make the biggest difference? Routine, like schedule, you know, routine, sleep schedules, things that teenagers generally are not good at. I mean, things that even adults are not good at a lot of the time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things like just being routine, also teaching them the importance of like balancing their social life with the things that they're doing. So they don't absolutely hate bodybuilding by the time they're 21. You know what I mean? Right. They don't resent bodybuilding because it took away all their friends. You know what I mean? So, so stuff like that is super important. And then beyond that, just basics of consistency within nutrition, showing them like, 
like for me, like I show, I like to show them how to use a little bit of variety in their plan, like how to keep things a little more interesting. So they do stay interested in what they're doing. It makes it, you could use the word fun, I guess, but it just makes it a little easier for them to maintain budget. If budgets is, you know, budgets an issue, then we can obviously talk about what they can do. You can eat for pretty cheap if you need to. I mean, you, it's not impossible to do. And I want to inter- interject right here for a minute because a lot of people complain about the price of healthy eating and sure. healthy eating. It can get up there, sure. but there's this little store called Aldi that does a phenomenal oh, yeah. job at keeping prices fucking low. So I just yeah. want to throw that out there. I think I've, if I'm not mistaken, someone else might know better. I think Aldi is Aldi and Trader Joe's are owned by the same company. Yes, they're owned by the same, same company. Okay. So what so we're Trader seeing Joe's now, is like the higher level. Like, right. yeah. What we're seeing now though, which is pretty cool is we, we actually have an Aldi close to us is they're integrating a lot of that stuff into the Aldi's and like a more generic form, you know what I mean? Like more generic brand, but you're getting a lot of this healthier options within the stores which is nice. You can go in there and, and kill it on shopping and Aldi for sure. Um, so, so yeah, yeah. I mean, there's plenty of options there just constructing a plan that they can, they can follow. I think that's the biggest thing is doing laying groundwork and constructing a plan that they can re- realistically follow on a regular basis. I'm not, like if I go in there and and just make it so incredibly difficult and detailed to where they can't, you know, they're falling off the boat all the time. They're frustrated. They can't execute it. Like that doesn't do us any good. You know what I mean? Um, and then also showing them that, showing them like, hey, I can use my own personal examples. Hey, I used to compete as a teen. This is where I've gone in 10, 12, 15 years or whatever. And this is the kind of, you know, this is realistic expectations. Understand that, um, you know, once you compete, we need to understand like what it's going to take for you to go to the next level. We're not going to be competing all the time. We need time to grow. We need time, you know, all of these things, educating them on just basics of health. It's, it's funny because I'm actually seeing more young people, not more than older people, but I'm seeing a lot of these younger people girls and guys with their hormones being shot already. And the reason for that, the reason for that's because it's simple, right? Because they're just doing too much shit. They never take time to recover and they they're young and they think they're invincible. You know what I mean? And they just, they're going and they're training, you know, they're training seven days a week. They're doing, they're competing too often. They're doing too much cardio all the time. They don't, they under eat, they under rest, they overstress, like just basic stuff. So I, again, that's a longevity thing. Like I'm getting these girls that are freaking 20, 22, 23 years old, that their hormones look like they're in menopause. I'm like, you know, they're crashed, dude. I mean, it's, it, it is so, so <laughs> this is where I don't envy coaches at all. Right. Um, for years. So bodybuilding operates and bodybuilding. <laughs> shit, shit. I'm sorry. Um, Bodybuilding, physique development, it operates under the whole um, realm of hard work, right? You can bulldog your way through anything. Yeah, as sure. long as you, you can get it in shape, as long as you work hard, as long as you're this, that, and the other. And it's like, okay, 
um, you can only branch more in your thing way through things so far. Sure. Before your body says absolute, you cannot rip and tear all the time. So what I'm saying with a lot of these new coaches is that they're trying to correct the years of damage that we thought that a lot of these high level coaches who knew stuff. Uh, and I'm not saying that a lot of these pro guys don't know stuff, but it, it, it comes at a cost because what's after the stage, we want to see your clients still living well. Sure. Like we all know that winning has a cost, right? We look at certain Mr. Olympias and they're not living so well. Um, right. No one escapes the sport unscathed, but we want to see at least people leave the sport with their health relatively intact. And a lot of these girls are getting screwed over by a lot of these factory farming coaches. Yeah. Yes. Um, okay. There's a lot to be said on that. I'll just, we'll summarize it though. There's uh it's okay. So I think it's two things. I think there is some component of them just not, fully understanding what they're dealing with in terms of like female hormones. So we can say right off the bat, males can get fucked up too, but females are way less resilient than males in terms of their body, just how it is. Like they, we, you, you're going to fuck up a woman way easier than you're going to, than a male. Okay. Yes. So I, I get these functional cases where I've got dudes that are, that are totally screwed up. They have hormone issues, whatever, but 90, probably 80% of the cases are females. Right. Mm -hmm. So it, it is two things. It's really some of these people, they literally just don't know any better. They're literally, they're just running them into the ground. They just don't know. Um, they don't know what, you know, what to monitor. They don't know like what to keep an eye on. They don't know the signs and the symptoms. Like they just don't know. And I think the other part of it is they just worry if they say to somebody, Hey, you shouldn't compete this year or you need to take this time off that they're going to lose them as a client. You know what I mean? And guess what? I get that all the time because I am the people come to me for these issues and they want them fixed. And they're like, Oh, well I want to compete this year. I'm like, well, did you see the lab work analysis that I gave you? Like you, you're barely, <laughs> you're barely ticking. Like nothing's working. You know what I mean? And they, they do one show, it goes great. They do the second show, it gets a little harder. They do their third show and they're like, oh shit, nothing's working. Like, why am I not, why can't I get in shape anymore? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then they get, they get basically, they get so down regulated that by the time they get to someone that knows how to fix them, it's like, hey, guess what? Fact of the matter is you're not competing this year. You might not compete next year either. Like it might take us a little while to, to get you fixed, right? And one of two things happen. Sometimes they're cool with it. Like, and sometimes I can get them on board. Other times they're done. That's it. They're like, I hate this. I resent bodybuilding. Bodybuilding stupid. It's bullshit. The industry's dumb, whatever. And I feel bad because it doesn't have to be that way. You know what I mean? It's just that you are getting, like you said, these factories, right? Where they're, they got the teams, right? And they've got, they've got, 10 girls at every show. Right. And they're just pumping them out. And it's just, they're just getting abused. They're a number, you know, it's an, it's insane. Um, I think 
and this is not a blanket statement for everybody, um, because I do know some coaches that do have, they have an inadvertent team. They're not marketing themselves as like a, a team for aspect sure. or anything like that, right, but they right. just happen to have a lot of people in the same show. Yeah, yeah. Um, the team aspect has destroyed on the women's yep. side. Yep. Uh, figure, physique, all that is absolutely destroyed. Like, as much as you would like, the only team that is real is you, your coach, and your family. That's it. That is the only team in this because somebody, if you are a woman competitor, your husband is picking up a lot of slack because you're not there. If you're a male competitor, your wife is picking up a lot of slack because you are focused on the task at hand and your coach is the one that's got you in the rain. So you're really, you're literally a high performing vehicle. So there's really no team here outside of that small circle. So if anything needs to die, within bodybuilding is high farm use in the team aspect because it's honestly just bad yeah dude i i've been saying this i've been saying this forever like the team and i get these girls that come from a team and i'm like team's bullshit like the team is the teams you want to compete you and your buddies compete in the same shows every year and over and over again until you're so fucked up that you can't compete anymore right and it's just Mm -hmm. it's the same shit like Oh, but I wanted to join this team because this team has so-and-so athlete on it and she looks amazing. I'm like, yeah, but what you don't understand is you're seeing a handful of people that are, that have elite genetics and you're not seeing all the people that got recycled, that got like thrown out. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? I'm like, you're not seeing any of that. You're seeing, you're just seeing what they want you to see. Right. Cause it's social media. (laughs) It's that's what that's marketing. Right. I mean, that's what they're doing. So yeah. And then of course, of course you, there's levels to it. I mean, there's some people that there's some teams, I guess, that are way worse than others, but you know, some of it's just a simple matter of like just abuse, like, you know, chronically low calories and chronic competing and chronic cardio and all that. But then some of them are just are adding tons of pharmacology on top of that. Right. And mm-hmm. dude, I mean, I'm telling you, man, I'm getting these, I get these young girls all the time. They start competing as like 19, 20 years old. And within two to three years, they are effed. They are freaking done, dude. They're just like their body, their body reacts like it's 60 years old. That's bad. It's like, it's crazy. It's like, what the fuck, man? Like, and you know, and there, like I said, there's levels to it. I mean, some, some teams, some of the places are, are worse than others. And some of them have literally zero regard for their health. And they just, it's just, you know, physique at all costs. But what people need to really realize is you are only making yourself look worse. I, you can work with somebody like me and there's others that can keep your health maintained and look better because your body's always going to react and look better when you're healthier. Always. There's, there's no arguing that. Like a body that's completely fucking destroyed is not going to react the same. I mean, we, we see in pro bodybuilding, right? Here's a perfect example. You take a guy who's trying to qualify for the Olympia, right? He's got to point out and get his and point his way in, but he, he starts to look worn out, right? He's been on, he's been up pushing, he's been pushing gear hard all year. He hasn't had any breaks. He hasn't had any cruises or anything. And you're like, man, he looks like shit compared to what he looked like earlier in the year. That's because 
he, there's so much systemic stress and inflammation. His body's like, yo, stop. <laughs> like, what are you doing? You know? Um, so it's that, it's that on a more extreme level. You know what I mean? Yeah. And is, and I, I what is, cause now I'm shifting more towards the females. Um, what are some of the considerations you need to keep, you keep in mind when you're taking a, a woman, let's just say she's on board with wanting to, okay, can't compete for two years. I can't compete this year. I may not be able to compete for next year okay? because I need to fix these issues. How do you keep them engaged? Because at some point they're going to be like, oh God, this is bullshit. Can I please do a prep? Can I do a structured plant? Like something instead of this long recovery period. How do you get people to buy in to recovery versus competition? Yeah, tough. Um, I'll be honest. Um, so like this, this functional health kind of like space is kind of like a thing now. I mean, there's more people getting into it and talking about it and they kind of glorify it. Like it's like, it's all great. Honest, honestly, it, it sucks sometimes because you're doing the complete opposite of what you want to do. Right. It's not what you want to do. Um, again, that's what you're saying. Uh, so I think a lot of it is just a mindset shift that needs to occur and it doesn't always happen right away so their initial mindset is i'm gonna get fat i can't compete and i want to compete they lose the problem with a lot of these people is they're they get into the space and they have no experience with just being healthy and exercising they go right to competing right so Mm -hmm. that's all they know their whole identity is competition that's it right so they've never experienced like more subtle periods of growing and fat loss and growing and fat loss, like more that are, that are, aren't so extreme. So they, they, they can't handle it. Their first, as soon as they gain that, you know, 10 pounds, their first inclination is like, Oh shit, I need to prep again. Right. right. I need to go back to prep because I'm getting fat. So we got to shift the mindset. It's easier with some people than others. Like some people, some people I can get on board just because they understand the health ramifications and I, I'll explain it to them. And they're like, no, I don't want any part of that. Like, I don't, I don't want to be screwed up forever or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're on board other people way more resistant. And I'll be honest, I probably, probably tend to probably 10 to 20% of the cases where they're like, Nope, not doing it. Guess what? They disappear. But, but what always happens is they always come back. Because they're like, oh shit. Because what they'll do is they'll go work with someone else or try to do it themselves. And as soon as they start trying to diet again, nothing happens. Like mm-hmm. they, they're cutting their calories in half and their body's like, their metabolism's like, bang, done. And they're, you know, they'll lose zero, zero weight with half the calories. They're like, holy fuck, what is wrong with me? And then they're like, well, that guy was right. I need to go get help. So sometimes they need to learn through, you know, fucking something up like they need to get they need to learn through experience um we all do that right like we all fuck shit up and then we try to learn from it and that's like i've messed myself up personally multiple times and it was my own fault i didn't know any better and that's how i learned you know learn to fix things um so some people they won't be on board that's what you ask like they're not going to be on board they're going to say no way no matter what i tell them they're not going to go for it but Almost every single person comes back 
and they they are on board. I think the biggest issue is just like how deep did they dig that hole? You know what I mean? Like how deep is that hole? Because there are some some of those people. I'm like, listen, I, I can. I'm probably going to be able to get you back to functioning good, but I don't suggest that you ever compete again. You know what I mean? Mm. There's, but there's other ones we can get them back and everything's responding. I'm like, let's do it. But some of them, man, I'm like, mm, I don't know that. I, I'm just weary that if we go back to competing again, that they're just going to end up right back in the same spot. You know what I mean? So, so at that tough. point, you become at that point you you borderline become a psychologist because like you're oh, yeah. like how do you handle that? Because now you're telling somebody that has wrapped their identity up in competing. How do you tell them this is not for you anymore? Yeah, it's a good question. So funny thing is, like I actually had one of my majors that I kind of tossed around was psychology. Again, I just didn't want to go to school for eight years for psychology. It doesn't pay very well, no. you know, what I mean? for all that debt. No, I like, I love psychology. Um, I'm not saying I'm like the best ever at psychology, but I mean, I'm decent. I mean, I'm decently versed at it. Um, and I refer out sometimes, like if I get cases that are really bad where I'm like, man, this person, I'll give you an example so I'll get these ones that these cases that are so bad where these people are blatantly hurting themselves. They, they disregard everything I say. They're hurting their health. Like they're, they know it. Like I even explain it to them. They know what they're doing, but they won't stop. Mm-hmm. So what is that? I mean, that's an addict, right? Yes. So that is, yes. That's an addict. Yeah. It's, it's an, that's an addictive, like that's an extreme addictive personality they're not addicted to like a drug or something like that like people generally think of but maybe they're addicted to food maybe they're addicted to um maybe it's like body dysmorphia like extreme body dysmorphia type stuff um i'll go in i'll go into it to an extent but sometimes if i get these people that are just really pushing it and and they're intentionally kind of hurting themselves i refer out like i'm like hey you know, we need to try to get you connected with a good therapist. I'm going to keep working my stuff, but I need you to go to therapy because listen, like I'm general, I'm, I'm genuinely worried about you. Right. Mm -hmm. Because now we end up with, now we're talking a whole nother ball of wax. We're talking health issues. We're also talking like, like binge eating disorder. You know, we're talking like, you know, anorexia, we're talking like bulimia, you know, we're talking, talking talking some serious shit. Right. And these, and so, and what, what I come to find sometimes though, is that a lot of these people already had addiction issues or some kind of addictive personality coming into this because that's what attracts bodybuilders, right? Like mm-hmm. that's why they like this, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but why, why would we want, why would we want to take a drug addict, a former drug addict and put them on a bunch of PEDs and do them the most extreme sport, like one of the most extreme, like, you know, physique ever and expect them to not get addicted to that. Like, really? How's that going to work? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's tough. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, so, you know, I don't, I don't want to hijack it um, because uh, it, this is kind of a, this is kind of a selfish interview, right? Because there's things that I want to know about myself too. So I, like I explained the stuff that I'm going on. Well, lo and behold, for some reason, I thought a prep was a good idea, right? Um, mm-hmm. 
it started off as one in a body recomp. So I'm coming down pretty good. I'm 239. I was a high at 256. But the show's in October now, and I'm not, I'm not losing fast enough. So now I'm in, do I continue to rip and tear and just take a long time to kind of like recover? Cause I'm I've always been pretty resilient. Like I work in a stressful field. I work, I'm a, I'm a producer for uh, a local news station. I work on a, on a, on news broadcasts. Okay. So like my stress is always here. Cause I'm always having to meet deadline except okay. on the days off that I have. And then you add on training and then you add on the pressure of expecting a newborn. And then you add on the pressure of trying to get in shape for a bodybuilding show which yep. I don't even know if I'm going to be in shape for. And if that's, if it, if at that point, like three weeks out, I know I'm not going to be ready for it. I will abandon the prep, but do I continue to put myself through the stress of a prep or do I just say, okay, this is going to be a long body recomp because I don't have a very long time in bodybuilding. And there's some things I like to accomplish in the for sport. Sure. I get that. So, so like I'm at that, I'm at that point of addiction. Like, do I continue on? Because I feel I know I can get in some type of decent shape. But am I going to be stage ready? You know, so it's hard for me to like abandon it, even with all of the stuff that's going on. But I'm just like, I'm hard headed. So I'm trying to figure out a way to to reconcile that and do I go on or do I stop because I have friends that are encouraging me and I appreciate their friendship but then I have also others that may say to me "Mm, you may want to chill out for a little bit yeah it sucks yeah it blows but this is what you have going on right now and your body's not going to be able to respond with everything that's going on yeah so so any situation I like to, I like to always step back and let's, let's, let's think about it logically, right? Cause that's really what we're trying to do. We're trying to kind of detach the emotion out of there. Cause you're saying, you're, you're saying two things, right? One of the mm-hmm. things is the emotional part. Shit. I want to do this. I'm not going to be bodyboarding a lot longer and reasonable. Like I get it. And the second part is like the logic parts like, well, but I might not be what I want to be. Right. And that's how we have to, that's really how we have to break it down. So we got to think, you know, pros and cons, and then also just timelines. So, Hey, you're getting leaner, you're recomping. So what happens if, you know, what happens if you continue that the rest of the year, you, you take a little, you know, chill period over, over the holiday and you compete in the early spring. Like, is that something that you could realistically accomplish? You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm always weighing out, like I always want to weigh out kind of what our options are. And I always tell people, unless it's like a pro show and we're signing like a contract to compete, then no one's got a gun to your head to do the show, do your show on October 5th of whatever, you know what I mean? Like it's not, I think that's a bad mentality for people. And a lot of my, a lot of my uh, amateur folks, I try to get them to pick show dates as little as possible. I try to get them to pick like maybe time frames that we're looking at. And then we mm-hmm. pick show dates as we get closer. And I know there's obvious things related in there, like travel and time off work and maybe like your family coming out and stuff like that. I get that. Uh, but I'm always like, well, what's going to give us the best outcome of the show? And how are you going to feel on show day with 
the package that you bring, are you going to be like, well, shit, I should have just waited a little bit longer and finished what I wanted to do? Or are you going to be like, damn, I did everything I could and I'm happy with the outcome? So I don't know that there's a perfect answer to that, but those are kind of the things that I would, that I would personally kind of lay out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy because, um, you know, I fight against a couple of things. Like originally I had pushed it to November. So that would have been putting me 24 weeks, well, 23 weeks out now. But November is the ratings period. No one is allowed to take off. And then, gotcha. you know, my wife was like, okay, well, you could do a show in the spring. Well, Ramadan is from April, like, 2nd to May 2nd. So that's fasting during the day. And, you know, you're, you're free to eat at night. But then that puts, that puts a damper on things, too. So spring is out. Winter's out for the most part. And because I'm not competing in December, like, period. I don't want to do that. Um, gotcha. So the realistic thing would be a time frame of a summer show next year. So that's what I would be. That's what I would be looking at. But then you're talking about, well, a year to a year to recomp, but also at the same time, um, mass up a little bit, I suppose. So I'm kind of a walking clusterfuck around here. Yeah. But but, you know, a year seems like a lot. But, you know, realistically, these phases take time. So you get you get in a decent spot by, you know, end of the year and you, you, you chill for a bit, like don't, don't get too fat. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. You, and you can start, you can start prepping in a really good position come early spring and you're, you're dialed by summer. Like you look, you're shredded, right. You're mm-hmm. ready. So, uh, I mean, I've done that with people. I, I'll give you an example. COVID. Last year, oh, yeah. when all yeah. the shit, when the shit was getting canceled, so I had a bunch of people that we did that with that were looking at like, uh, um, like late summer, fall shows, maybe like late fall shows. We wrote it especially for the fall shows because by fall we thought everything was going to be fine, which of course didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And um, we're like, oh, we'll just ride it out. We'll keep getting leaner. We get about a, you know, we get like six weeks out. We're like, eh, this shit ain't happening. Like we're, they're not gonna they're not going to have these. And some of the places did it depend on what States they were in, of course. Um, so I thought, okay, well let's shut it down. You know, let's shut it down. Let's just go in a small calorie surplus over the holiday, give you a little cushion, just stay, just stay, you know, within 10, 10 to 15 pounds of where we ended our cut. And then that way, by the time we get to spring, we don't need to lose fucking 50 pounds to prep for, you know, yeah. to prep for our show. But at the same time, we're rested, you know, we're rested and we're ready to go. That, that also meant like, you know, that also meant like just cruising, not like blasting a bunch of gear shit, you know, and that way when it's time to prep again, because really if you, if you went to November, I mean, you'd want to, you probably want to start prep again in three or four months after that for summer, you know what I mean? Like you'd yeah. by probably March. Right. So that's not very long. Like you'd be dude, from November to March, you'd be in March in no time before you knew it. Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? You'd, absolutely. You'd be ready. You'd be ready to go. So I think when you break it down and you think about it like small chunks versus like, oh, it's a year. It seems a lot more. It's Digestible. less daunting. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a, it's a little easier to unpack. I think that way. Um, I wanna, so. 
I want to get into something that uh, I want to shift back to women a little bit because I feel that okay. they're very underserved. Talk to me about the effect, efficacy of a Dutch test, what it is, why do we do it? Um, you know, why is it so important for women, no matter what the level of physique, why is it so important for a woman to have a Dutch test? Okay. Yeah. So there's probably a bunch of people listening that have no idea what a Dutch test is. <laughs> um, cause it's, I mean, more people are learning about it, but, um, so basically a Dutch test is a, it's a urine test. Um, it's a dried urine test. You have little pieces of, they're like, a. I compare it to like really thick construction paper that I used to draw on as a kid, you know oh, what I mean? Okay. And so it's kind of similar to that. You basically, you pee on the strips, they dry, you send them the samples. And so it's an at-home kit. They send you the kit, you do it. You, you can actually order online. DutchTest.com has it. Um, and then there's some like places, uh, different like functional medicine websites that sell it. Um, but basically the advantage is with urine, we get the picture of hormones, like the stuff that we would get in blood, testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, so on and so forth. But with urine, we can also see metabolites. We can see what's, how your body is handling those hormones and how they are excreted. So the advantage there is we can see what your body does with testosterone, what it's doing with your estrogen, what it's doing with even your adrenal hormones. So like your cortisol and cortisol metabolites, um, even neurotransmitters. So like dopamine, uh, norepinephrine, like all these things, we can see all of that because we're seeing, we're seeing not only levels, but we're seeing excretion, which are the metabolites, right? Mm -hmm. We can't see that in blood because in blood, we're just seeing, we're basically seeing it in the blood before it's been used, right? Before it's been utilized. Um, so what that will do for us is we might get people that they present hormone issues, but if you did blood work, they have normal levels. But then once you look at the Dutch test, you're like, oh shit, their metabolism is their, meta you know, metabolites are all over the place. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, badass tests, great tests for women, especially, uh, the types of issues we're generally seeing are like estrogen dominance, um, like androgen issues, like people that have, you know, like heightened androgens, hyper, hyperandrogenism, detoxification issues. There are some detox, like it shows estrogen detox and methylation, which is a detox process. Um, adrenal issues are a big one. We can definitely see, you know, everyone talks about cortisol, right? We can mm -hmm. definitely see like your cortisol and also what your body's actually doing with the cortisol, like how it utilizes it. So man, for women, I mean, I do the tests on men sometimes too, but for women, uh, this it's awesome. Like there's nothing like it. It gives us, it takes out all the guesswork. I think the hardest thing is just knowing how to read it because it's a lot, <laughs> it's yeah. a lot to, to take in. Um, so now, now it does look once, like once you learn that, now, now it does look like, yeah, once you learn it, um, it looks like uh, you can take things to a next level because you have a baseline of where you need to be at. Now, I, you just mentioned you do it for men sometimes, but we always hear about blood work for men. This seems like mm -hmm. it's more, it could be more comprehensive uh, for men rather than just the blood work. Um Oh, for should sure. men should men be getting the Dutch test and blood work or just the Dutch test alone? Or are we talking case only, 
Yeah, it, it is. It's always going to be case dependent. But I mean, the only real downside to the Dutch test is it doesn't give us it doesn't give us like the blood count. So like your like your all of your red blood cells, white blood cells, like it doesn't give us like the liver values. It doesn't give us like the and it doesn't give us thyroid. Um, so we do in lipids. So, you know, like HDL, LDL. So I like to have that in blood work because the thing with women is we don't generally see as much issues with things like uh, like high hematocrit and hemoglobin and like fucked up lipids in women because they're not blasting a bunch of gear like guys, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they, they might, I mean, they might take some, but the dosages of women are so much lower that it's generally not affecting like their lipid profiles and stuff to any huge degree, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but in men, I almost like to have both. I, I, I generally will start with blood work. And then if I see maybe symptoms that aren't matching up or um, like something that's way off, then we'll just move on. We'll move on and do the Dutch test. You know, the reality is like cost, right? Because, because I'm having people do, you know, they're paying me for coaching for one and we're doing, you know, we're doing labs. Um, if there's something wrong, then there's like extra supplementation and things that we have to do to work on it along with lifestyle stuff. So they're paying for that. And then the Dutch test is, you know, like three to $400. So, you know, it just depends. It depends. Like, but at the end of the day, um, it's hard to put a price on fix it like health. You know what I mean? It's, uh, and you know, how guys are guys are, guys are going to save their money for GH before they're going to save it for fucking blood work. They're going to, if they had to choose which one to buy, they're going to buy, they're going to buy their, their drugs first. And it's like, come on, man, you know, damn. Um, you wonder, you wonder why we have so many problems. Yeah. And that's, that's like, I get it, but it's crazy at the same time. Um, for anyone that's listening, if you haven't noticed if for anybody that's listening, you haven't noticed, bodybuilding is a very expensive sport. So please make yourself a career that you're uh, you're not disposable, or if you are disposable, save your goddamn money so you can compete or at least reap the benefits of being in this endeavor. Because again, it is it is very pricey. Um, I want to get into training a bit. Um, okay, what is your philosophy on training okay uh man so if you haven't noticed um i'm a big like context guy so i'm always like context on everything which i think that's how everyone should be right i think it should always be the cop out the cop out answer is it depends which is a total cop out right but the reality is it it really does depend i think the biggest thing the biggest issues that I'm seeing with training are we have, we're getting like research and things like that on training, which is fine. That's fine. But um, there's just, there's just way too much variance in day-to-day life. What I mean by that is I'll paint, we'll paint this picture. So let's say, we'll say everyone's recovery ability is different to begin with. That might be just be genetic, but let's take this like pie chart. I always use a pie chart example. This the pie chart is our recovery. We've got hundred percent of the pie chart we can fill with, with like stressors, right? Like life, work, training, all this stuff. But your pie chart and my pie chart, like 
maybe, or would say someone else, maybe someone has a really low stress life and only 10% of their pie charts filled with work. They have no relationship issues. So that's only 5%. Their finances are great. So that's only 5%. Man, they've got a lot of training resource, right? So they can, they can push a lot more because their nervous system's not as beat up. They don't have, they're not like, they're not, they don't have like that low grade anxiety all day where they're like dumping cortisol, like very slowly all the time. Um, you take someone else that's maybe like you have deadlines or someone that's like has to function at a high level for their job, or they're like a CEO of a company or something. Right. I mean, man, 50% of their pie charts filled up with work. And then, you know, they might have, they might fill up another 40% because their sleep is not great. Right. Yeah. Like how, how am I going to train? Like, how am I going to train them with the same amount of volume and workload that I train someone else that has no stress? Like you can't, mm-hmm. right? Like most likely you're not going to be able to train those two people the same. So what I, what I really like to do is first just understand like the basics, like how do we, we know, we know the couple variables that really help with muscle growth are, you know, doing enough volume and also load progression can help, right? Those are kind of like the two main variables that they study. And we know we have to train intense enough to, for it to elicit a response. So we think, I always think, okay, so what's their recovery ability? What's their recovery resources? What kind of resources do they have left over after we subtract out all of that other shit? And then that's, that's how much we can kind of allocate towards training and, um, I try to make the most sense of what we're doing. If it's a person that's limited on time, maybe they're real limited on time, high stress. Um, they can't handle a ton of volume because they just don't have the resources. I might train them on a lower volume program. That's more focused on just, you know, progressive overload. And we mm-hmm. might just do that. Right. Yeah. Because it makes sense. Like it, it makes sense for their people. There was a, uh, after my last, my last show, I did compete in 2019. I didn't compete in 20, but I did basically coming out of my show. I just kind of cruised on training. It's pretty easy stuff until my nervous system started to like come back intact, you know, and I was, business was really booming. And I'm like, man, I still have time to sit out here and train forever. I actually did like a pure DC split three days a week, right? The old school, like, yeah. you know, the old school AB split three days a week, dude, I made a shitload of progress. And why was that? Because I was allocating enough time to recovery based on my high, my, you know, intensive work schedule with my job. Right. And that's why that, that's why that worked made sense for me because what I was finding is I was actually making less progress when I trained with a lot more volume and I think there's a lot of people like that out there. They, they just do more and more and more shit. And then if I back down their, the amount of work, they, what they find out real quick is they start getting stronger. They're like, why am I getting stronger? It's like, cause, cause your nervous system's not beat to shit and you're actually recovering. And they're like, holy crap, all my lifts are going up. I'm like, yeah, cause you're recovering. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sorry. Um, you got, so I'm you not got saying, cut out. That's not, I'm sorry, you got cut out somehow. My okay. turned on. What was that last part? You're allocating resources. So now. Yeah, I was just saying, like, sometimes I'll pull people, I'll, I'll pull people back because I can tell they're just doing too much stuff. And they, mm-hmm. 
the quality of their training immediately goes up. They're like, holy shit, like I'm getting stronger now. I haven't gotten stronger in months or years, right? Mm -hmm. Some people. And, but why is that? Well, that's just because now they're actually doing an amount of training that they can recover from. And so their training's productive. So when I say that, a lot of people think that I just allocate low volume, but that's not it. I don't say everyone. All that I'm saying is that you need to train in an amount that makes sense for how stressful your life is. Right. That's what, that's what that means. So, um, an even more extreme example of that would be like my functional health, like these women that are totally fucked up. Am I going to have them train six days a week? No, dude, they're training like three days a week. A lot of them, maybe let, maybe two days, some of them in like the real early phase of their recovery. Right. Because Dude, they, they've got nothing. They've got no resources to recover. Their body is tapped. They've mm-hmm. been, they've stressed their body to the max for multiple years in a row. And so we have to start low. And as they recover, we'll just kind of build them up. You know what I mean? Back to a more normal, like a more normal, like four days a week or something like that. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just a matter of, it's just an equation. I mean, it's an equation. Just figure out this is what I can handle. This is what, this is what goes into work, life, relationship, finances, whatever. This is what I have left for training. And then there we go. That's kind of how I look at it. Okay. And that's a, that's a good thing to think about too. Um, because I'll, we, we look at bodybuilding as an individual thing when really as a holistic, a holistic approach needs to be uh, looked at, especially on a financial level. Um, I do have a farm question from a friend of mine uh, who's also another coach. Uh, They shall remain nameless due to the fact that it is a farm question. Uh, A length of of time an individual should be on trend. And if taking the aspects of thyroid downregulation should be taken into account when thinking about that specific drug. Okay. Um, So kind of like two parts. So the second, I'm going to answer the second one first, actually, because that's a common one, like the thyroid part. Generally, generally, the body's going to adapt in relation to thyroid. The body will produce a little bit more TSH, which is going to mean it's going to pump out enough thyroid to compensate. So most people I don't find would have like any long-term, you know, thyroid issue from, from taking it. Does that make sense? Like yeah. there's going to be a short-term adaption where the body might need to compensate a little bit, but as soon as you stop, I find that everyone's back to normal. Now that's not to say like, if you abuse the shit out of it, of course it might be a different story, but I don't, I don't really buy in that you need to like supplement like T4 or T, you know, T4, T3 with your, with trend. I don't think you do personally. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I find most people with a healthy thyroid, their thyroid gland and their, you know, conversion, it'll adapt and it'll compensate for whatever length of time you're on the compound should be good. Um, uh, how long to take it? Well, of course we would probably want to, you know, we want to consider dosages like dose is going to make a difference. I mean, you're taking, you could take a hundred, you could take a hundred milligrams a week, a lot longer, you take 500 right? Right. or whatever. So, um, application. So like a lot of people apply it to contest prep. We know they normally apply it to like that kind of scenario, which generally, um, I think in prep, I think it's, I do like the idea of kind of like titrating, like kind of like titrating up the, 
the uh, PEDs as you go. So, you know, we're starting with our testosterone, maybe like another compound. We slowly start adding in like our DHTs and Trimbalone and stuff. And we, we kind of like are titrating up to that peak dose by the end of the prep, right? We've got, by the end, we've got in, you know, we've got in maybe tests, maybe they pulled it out. Some people, we've got in the DHTs, we've got in maybe, you know, an oral, we've got in like the hallow test. And if they used it, like trend, you know, all the shit. Right. Yeah. Um, so in reality, in that case, it might be, it might be eight to 10, you know, it might be eight to 10 weeks max, but really like what is trend doing for us in prep? It's giving us some cosmetic effect, right? Right. It's giving us some, how long do you really need to take it to get that cosmetic effect? Not very. I mean, you're, you're not really building a lot of tissue at, six weeks out show if you're not building any probably so in reality you don't need it that long like you're probably not going to get any extra benefit from taking it six to eight weeks versus taking it 12 to 16 weeks you know what i mean like the only thing the only thing you're really going to accomplish if you take it longer is you're just going to stress your body out more probably right mm-hmm. um so i'm thinking like like the the more cosmetic drugs like that really just take them long enough to get the cause, you know, cosmetic effect, like hallow testing, like, well, if, if hallow testing for the last three weeks of prep helps us, makes us harder, why wouldn't we take it for 16 weeks? We'd be extra, you know, like we'd look even better. Well, because your body would be toxic as fuck and you probably would look worse by the end of the prep. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, now off season, I don't think it's, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities for off season. Like there's some people that do generally react well to it. Maybe they don't do well with like Nandrolone or they don't do well with like Aquapoise. They don't do well um, with any of those. So maybe adding that in in a lower dose in one of the blasts would give you some benefit. I don't think it's necessarily out of the realm of possibilities. Again, it's just, it's just more of a dose thing. I think just be reasonable with your dosages and you could probably, you know, you could probably use it even for like the duration of a, a blast in the off season, maybe 12, 10 to 12 weeks, as long as you were using something like be a big difference. You could use 50 milligrams every other day for 10 to 12 weeks. Right. Cause that's 175 milligrams a week. It's just that people want to use fucking, you know, five, six, seven, 800 milligrams a week. And then they have a bunch of side effects. So it's like, well, no shit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, no shit. You have much side effects, you know, really. But if we really think about muscle building, the muscle building process is, is a lengthy process. So you, you blasting a ton of drugs at a short period of time and getting toxic as hell and stressing out your body is going to build you less. That's going to build you less muscle than taking a lower, slower approach. Right. Because right. again, our body's going to be less stressed out. It's actually exposing you to the escalated doses for longer, right? But it's mm-hmm. also exposing you to less stress. So again, you end, it's a win-win. You end, up your, you end up with less impact on your health markers. You end up with more muscle growth. You end up looking better. And you end up feeling better because you want to just, they want to just blast themselves to oblivion for, you know, 10 to 12 weeks instead of maybe let's do like a 16 to 20 week and slowly ramp up as we go. Right. Yeah. Um, on, on OPD, we actually talk about that a lot. like how to titrate, like titrating your doses and stuff throughout a off season cycle, instead of just like 
slamming two grams right out of the, you know, like right, two out, of the gate. right out of the gate. Um, yeah. If you go from TRT to two grams a gear, you're going you're you're to get trouble. You're going to get bigger and fuller real quick. Right. But right. how much, like how much tissue are you really building? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and what's in your side effect potential goes way up and you're going to burn out way quicker. That's so, a, that's a good point. Um, I, I know I said I keep you for hour 15, but I kind of let these develop no, organically. Good, yeah, um, I want to talk about OPD a little bit. So we're in this, we're in this sphere of podcasts that, um, you know, is basically a me, me, me session, but OPD and a few others are actually giving back as far as information. Tell us how the, the, how that podcast came about, who you co-host it with, and what are some of the things that you've discussed? Yeah, so it's the Optimal Physique Development. Um, I was on another podcast before that for like a couple years. Then we've done OPD for probably a couple years or so. Um, so I've been doing the podcast thing for quite a while, like when it first started to become popular. But uh, anywho, um, yeah, OPD is pretty informational based. I mean, we do guests sometimes. Sometimes we do just us, uh, me and my uh, co-host is Joe Jeffries from the UK. Um, some of you might know who he is. Um, man, we just, we, we just always wanted to put out information and some people thought it was kind of silly the way we did podcasts. They're like, Oh, if you just give out all that information for free, then nobody is going to want to coach, you know, work with you. Mm -hmm. But I found quite the opposite. <laughs> To be completely honest, like I found that that makes everyone want to work with you, right? Because they think, and it's of course like we we can't give out context. Like we can give out as much information as possible, but we could never address like an individual situation because right. we just don't know who we're talking to. But what I find is that most people love it, and they just think, man, if they're giving us this, you know, if they're giving us this kind of stuff for free, then. I'd love to work with them as a coach and let them apply all that to me yeah. and, and reap the benefits. So we talk about everything. I mean, we've done, you know, we've done PDs, we do plenty of PD stuff, but we also do done plenty of like health related episodes, you know, like lab work breakdowns. I mean, we've done, uh, you know, like digestive health supplementation in terms of like health supplements, training, um, we've gone into more specific stuff like psychology. We've had some actual like professionals on that were in the field for psychology. Um, we've gone through some, some like individual experiences with guests and people that come on and talk about different things. We do random shit. Like we did one on shift work, like how to deal with shift work as a bodybuilder, you know, oh. like overnights like that. Um, man, if there's something that you're interested in, there's a good chance that we've, probably covered it. Uh, we've had some really great guests. I just reposted one the other day with Dr. Scott Howell. We did like a, um, basically like harm reduction, like safer guidelines for use. And he's a doctor that specializes in basically like PED users. So mm -hmm. he, had, he had tons of cool, tons of cool shares, um, in terms of like looking at the common things like your lipid profile and blood pressure, you know, like manage, just management of stuff. Um, 
man. So yeah, that's, that's that episode. Him and I have been friends for just, you know, quite a while. Uh, I feel that we have a similar kind of, our client bases aren't exactly the same, but we do have a similar kind of um, approach, I guess, yeah. in terms of, in terms of just providing value. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to get into this is the part of the podcast I've been waiting on um, okay? because I am a geek for training. So all I want to do is I want to share my screen here. OK. All right. I'm pull up your Instagram profile here. Oh, my damn barn gym shit. The barn gym, the 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 level of evil that I see you put yourself and people through. Um <laughs> I, I, I absolutely love it. So everyone thinks it's cool that, you know, there's a barn gym, you're, 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 you're training hard in the barn gym, but it's like the weather we've been getting, uh, it, we've been under a dome of fucking heat. Tell us how you it's built hot, this. <laughs> it, yes, it looks disgusting, but um, tell us why you built this out. So, okay, so it's, it's actually a pretty simple story. I used to own a gym. I tried that for about two years. Absolutely hated it. I know some people like it. I did not like owning a gym. Um, so I pulled some of the equipment. Like I sold most like the Nautilus commercial stuff because that I could get some money back out of those things. Um, but I kept a lot of the free weights. I bought some like just residential grade, like some of the stuff I have, you know, a little cheaper residential stuff. But um yeah, I mean, there's a whole, dude, there's tons of fucking videos on there, uh, like some abusive masochistic shit. Um, and I just have accumulated equipment. I mean, dude, I have, I have dumbbells up to like hundred pounds. Then I have adjustable dumbbells that'll go to like 200. I have cables, bands, chains, adjustable benches, squat racks. I have like five to eight different bars. I have, um, leg press. I have leg extension, leg curl, belt squat, hyperextension. Um, fuck. I mean, dude, I mean, we've got all kinds of shit out there. I've got like dip stations. I mean, I have a reverse hyper in there even, you know, crazy. like stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, damn, now, we've got all kinds. Of- now, obviously this is in Ohio. How the hell do you manage training in there in the winter time? So I don't have electricity in there. So what happened was our house, we had a house fire and the way that the zoning works around here is they zoned our building as a separate entity of the house because it was initially used for a business when we had bought, when we had the house way back. So what they wanted to do is charge us some like ungodly, like $30,000 to zone this and run electric out here, which is stupid. Um, now we could of course just run a line from the breaker in the house out to the barn, never got around to it. So I run an extension cord from my house out to the barn and I have a three prong hook. So in the summer I run a light, with two fans, which right now the fans don't do shit because it's so hot. It just blows like hot air on you. And yeah. in the wintertime, I have one of the like kerosene torpedo heaters on the floor. Oh, okay. Um, but I'll tell you what, the building is pretty big and it, the ventilation, it's like you can literally see daylight through some of the panels in the building. So no heat stays in. <laughs> it's so bad. So basically what I do with the torpedo heater is 
I'll do a set and then I just stand in front of the fucking heater for like in between sets to not die. And then I'll go back and do another set. And then uh, it gets so cold that I'll have to go out there. I'll, I'll normally do like calves or something first. So I'll put my bars and my dumbbells in front of the heater because they're so I can't even hang on to them. They're so cold in the oh. wintertime. Um, it's been so cold out there. I've actually put gloves on and I can feel the steel like like burning my hand through the glove. It's so cold in some cases. Um, so man, I don't know. At, like at, like at what point do you say, at what point do you say, okay, I'm going to need a gym with some heat or I need to nah. go to a place that has some heat. I don't know. I'd probably never, I'm just a sick fuck, dude. I just, just do it. I don't even, I don't even care anymore. I couldn't even go to, yeah, you can see my little torpedo heater set back there. Um, I don't know, man. I, a part of me, a part of me likes being able to do something that not many people, other people would do, you know, mm-hmm. it's like a pride thing, I guess I could call it. I don't know. Um, but it's pretty adequately, like it is pretty adequately equipped for a house. Like if you, oh, no, if you go in there, it's excellently equipped. Yeah. I just, my old ass just worry about, uh people potentially getting injured from lack of heat yeah so when i in the winter time i'm always sure to bundle up a lot and i'll always so what i did when it's very very cold what i'll actually do is old wrestling cutting weight trick is i'll actually tape i'll tape the wrists and tape the ankles and tape my waist so no heat can get out and i get really hot underneath my my clothes um so I'll, I'll go, I mean, I'll be warm. I'll sweat in the winter, you know, so I, I warm up adequately. Um, yeah, just use common, you know, just use common sense and like what you're doing and make sure you're, you're warming up enough. Um, I don't find it too bad. I don't know if I have a preference between extreme cold or extreme hot. I think the hot is actually, I think the heat's actually worse, to be honest, mm-hmm. just because, with the cold, I can warm myself up enough under my clothes to just to, you know, suffice. But the heat's fucking so bad. It, and Ohio is like just super humid. So um, I like out there today, our heated next was like 99 or 98 or something. So it's pretty hot. That's great. Um, I train it. And of course, with the way my work, with the way my client check-ins and stuff are, I do most of my check-ins in the morning and then I'll get a few more emails, you know, I'll get some more emails like afternoon and evening. So I train right in the middle of the fucking day, at like one o'clock in the afternoon. So mm-hmm. it's like a hundred, it's like a hundred fucking degrees outside. Uh, and, uh, um, that's, that's gross, but it's, it's now it's like a, now it's like a thing. Everyone wants to come train in the barn. I've had, uh, I've had some bunch of clients come out. Actually, uh, John Meadows came out and trained with me last summer. I remember that. I remember yeah. that. He's like, hey, I was like, you want to come out and train? He's like, oh, I might be too old for that shit, but I'll come out. <laughs> oh, man. So he came out. That's crazy. crazy. Um, you're in Ohio, which is, um, believe it or not, um, I don't know if it's still that way, but at one point, uh, that tri-state area of Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Ohio, has some of the strongest amateur competitors um, on the map. Yeah. Um, you know, you had that, uh, you have the, you obviously have the Pittsburgh bodybuilding championships, but then you had the, uh, the Mr. Ohio, and then you had the upper Ohio out of West Virginia. Um, 
and there's been a lot of competitors that have come through there and you actually uh, work with a former competitor by the, and a good guy that I know named Ben Hartman. Tell us uh-huh. about that relationship between you, Ben, and how Morphogen Nutrition uh, works into that. Oh, yeah. So Ben, Ben Hartman's obviously uh, owner of Morphogen Nutrition. They have been around. They're, they're really on the map now. A lot of people know who they are now, but that was a product of a lot of years. They've been around for quite a while. Yeah. So um, Ben grew that company very organically. It wasn't like paid ads and it wasn't anything gimmicky. It was very much just like good product, word of mouth, put out good information. Um, I've known him for a long time. I actually have some of the like original uh, generation one, like thermogen, fat, like unopened at the house here, uh, stuff like that. Um, but man, awesome company. They all, they use like no proprietary blends. Everything's always clinically dosed. Like everything products work very synergistically. Ben is a very, he has a lot of integrity in the stuff that he does in terms of products that he makes. Now, where do I kind of fit in? So we became friends and then I use the products and eventually he got to the point where we agreed to do a like sponsorship thing. Now for me, obviously I compete, but also I have a, I have a pretty good following in terms of like coaching and informational stuff. So it made sense for me to do like breakdown videos and integrate the products and stuff like that. And I already use the products with people. So we kind of, we kind of agreed on that. And then, um, I mean, now he's continuing to just put out, put out products. I, uh, I'm fortunate enough to kind of get to look at things beforehand and give inputs on stuff, you know, and things like that. So that's been awesome. Um, his wife, his wife actually had left her job. I think she worked at Chase. I think she had a pretty good job at Chase. Pretty sure mm-hmm. it was Chase. And came and worked with him. They've got employees now. They've got a, like a new warehouse space. You know, they're they're doing doing great stuff. Um, but yeah, I I, su- I wouldn't work with any other company. Like I think it's I think it's you know the best the best stuff around. Just- I've actually been using his uh his Morpha test because I've been I've been wanting to use it for a while. Um, so I'm hoping to pick up some more of his stuff here shortly but i've known ben for a while and i know he's been putting out um a lot of good product so like i said i've just gotten around to use it using it so uh i'm one of those guys that don't get blood work so uh i don't know exactly how it's affected me but uh hopefully hopefully i think it's going pretty pretty decent because i am i feel better right even under my my stressful situation I feel better and I feel like I'm, I'm, I've gotten a little bit of oomph back in a lot of aspects of my life since using that. So Ben, if you're listening, I'm eventually going to have you on the podcast, but um, be a good guest. yeah, he'd be, he'd be a very good guest. Um, <clears throat> so last bit, last question I want to talk about is where do you see yourself in the next five years? Okay. Good one. You're putting me on the spot, so I have to. I have to make my five-year plan right here. Um, so, uh, what I what I've started to kind of do with my business is obviously coaching. Like my coaching side is always the mainstay. It continues to to grow. I continue to kind of evolve, but 
I've gotten into like the education space so much now with like I do, I've spoken at like quite a few seminars um, across the country. Um, even did one in the UK with Joe from mm-hmm. the OPD. We did one clear over there, which was awesome. Uh, my mentorship program, things like my YouTube and stuff that I do. So the education thing is going to continue to be part of like my business, you know, as well as coaching. So my clients are probably about, it's probably about one third education based and then about two thirds coaching clients. So the, the mentorship, I mean, I've got people that are, you know, just start like college students that are just starting out and coaching or clear up to like um, people that have, I mean, I've got people that have like 10 coaches under them, people that are doing freaking seven figures and shit like that with their company. You know what I mean? So, um, so it's everyone and my, and my, what I do isn't like, again, I'm not, I'm not doing like fucking like email funnels and shit, you know, like marketing and stuff like that. So we're just basically, basically with me, it's, it's how to be the best coach you possibly can, not only from an information standpoint, but also like an integrity standpoint. And my thing's always just been build an organic following because word of mouth bar none is the most important thing, no matter what, because you can, you can be a marketing expert and get people to come to you, but if you can't deliver, then that eventually gets around and you fizzle out. You know what I mean? So, um, so I've always just been, the best, the best way to build a good coaching company is just be really good. You know what I mean? Like what's the way to build a big, I asked this for my last, for my last guest, uh, Jason Colley, who was actually, uh, trained under one of the guys that you work with, uh, Trey Buffy. Um, yep. But yeah. Um, how do you build a coach from the ground up? Yeah. So I think, I think the best thing to do is start with, the information. So like I have a coach, a couple guys, I'm sorry, I should say one girl, one guy. When we started, they had zero clients. They had none. Mm -hmm. Now they both, one of the things that I think is important is they both had another job. So don't fucking like, don't go and quit your day job and think you're just going to start coaching. You know what I mean? Keep stay to your job that has insurance and (laughs) vacation and like all, and like all this shit. So that's number one. Um, but I told them, they like, well, I want to get clients. I said, okay, understand. And you have to put yourself out there, especially at first, because you don't have anyone, you don't have any, anyone to tell other people that you're good, right? Because you don't have any clients. So I said, put yourself out there, provide, start providing information based on the stuff that you're learning. Let's start there. Get some clients. They, you're you're going to get a few clients right off the bat. Okay. They start telling other people, but I said, now, as you feel comfortable, put yourself out there more, talk to other people that are, that you look up to and figure out, get into and try to get into their space. Like, I don't, I don't like people to coattail. I think coattailing is just kind of sleazy and makes you kind of not very reputable. If you're just uh, an example would be like you there's, and this shit goes on. Like they have IFBB pro clients that they pay them to work with them so they can basically use their image, which I think that's just fucking stupid, but yeah. people, but people do it. Um, you know, but I digress, but anyhow, so you get, you know, 
start getting in these, do things like see if you can get podcast opportunities, do things like um, tag, you know, tag, share stories, get, talk to other people, ask other people, you know, questions and build, just build rapport with people that are doing well. What you'll find is that there's genuinely people that are successful that are very nice and they want to see other people succeed and they will, they will help you. So like what I do with a lot of my uh, mentorship clients is like, they'll take the classes that I teach and things like that, but I'll tag and I'll share, you know, I'll share their stuff or I'll, I'll comment on their stuff and I'll build their, you know, so they, they bump up in their algorithm a little bit and more people see them. It's, it's a thing that builds, you know what I mean? Like it starts to build them and all it takes, man, I tell you what, like everyone wants this marketing, like this, you know, professional marketing and business scheme. And I'll tell you what, if you can just do good and change people's lives and make them happy, they will tell other people they will. Dude, it's so funny. Um, I'm a journalist by trade. That's what I went to school for. But I got like 20 years in this this bodybuilding thing. So my combination, my knowledge comes from a combination of trying things out, going to seminars. I've been to two to learn training seminars, seminar okay. with John and Eugene Teo out in Madison, Wisconsin. I've done a Jim Windler seminar. So I've got some knowledge behind me. You know, I don't have I don't have the letters or anything like that, which I do believe uh is needed, but I just don't have them. Right. So I have more in the trenches and practical stuff and things that I've seen in other people that I've worked with and say, Hey, do this. Don't do this. The amount of, and I don't rely on marketing at all. Like I just market myself. I don't really show my clients or anything like that. Okay. Um, when talking about don't leave your day job, the amount of work I had to get to sell one program, one, well, two rather, two programs in the past three months has been absolutely unreal. The amount of effort and content that I put out. But again, a lot of stuff I do free. So there's going to be that phase of free work that you do. Have to. Yeah, there's like I I used to read I read a lot of people that said if you're good at something don't do it for free. If you want to be broke, you're not going to be doing a lot of paid stuff. Like you have to put in that free. Let me hook you up. Let me help you out because you're you're going the wrong route. Work. Right. And if you want to succeed, like I have a friend, um, who I actually need to write something for, uh, just to help them out, um. I don't want to see them. I don't want to see them keep doing a lot of high volume stuff. You know what I mean? So I want to help them out for free, but that's how you build clients because everybody wants that sample. Everybody wants that taste. And unless you've been around the block for years and years and years, you're not going to get that charging people out the wazoo immediately. Even if you have to use yourself as a billboard, like put stuff out there. Yeah. I mean, shit, you know, some of the newer, uh, mentorships, like clients are like, well, how much do you charge? I'm like, well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Like I'm not, I mean, you've been coaching six months. I've been coaching, you know, for whatever, 10, 12 years or whatever. Right. So yeah. it's not, it's not really relevant. I said, I, I, I'm like, I can tell you what I think you should charge. Right. And yeah. just based on where you're at. And I'm going to tell you also that I'll do some shit for free. And here's the thing, like, even now, 
even now with, I'm not, there's people that do charge more than me. I'm not cheap, but I'm, I'm, I'm probably like above halfway in terms of like where I'm at pricing wise, but I still do Q and A's like every one to two weeks. I put out free YouTube shit with tons of fucking information. I offer, you know, I get DMs all the time. I try my best to answer everyone's question unless it's like, hey, here's my, my plan. What do you think I should change? Because then they're just trying to like milk me for, you know, yeah, shit. Yeah. But, but, but man, I, I mean, there's no reason that you like, obviously you get limited on time, the more business you have and stuff. But I try to still help as many people as I can. And I think it's weird to me because sometimes you get people that are like, oh my God, thank you for helping me and answering my question. I can't, you know, thanks for taking the time. Like, well, other people don't, they aren't willing to help or, you know, I don't know. And it, to me, it just seems like, uh, it just seems like bad business. You know what I mean? Bodybuilding is a very, and not even bodybuilding, the fitness industry is very much a grassroots type of industry in that you have to help because people are going to come to you and they're going to ask questions. Well, if you don't, I got, I get questions on stuff. I haven't worked for a nutrition store around here for a couple of years, but I still get questions on products that are sold there. And I give them my opinion. This product is good. This product ain't that great. But if you want to try it out, you know, everyone is a little bit different, but I wouldn't use it. Right. And I still get questions about stuff they may not even sell anymore because I haven't been there. Um, so and people also discount YouTube University. Right. Because YouTube is a you have to follow the right sources, but it's right. a tremendous resource. Right. Yeah. There's a bunch of. Yeah, that's like a whole different story of like there's a ton of information. What's right. <laughs> type yeah. of thing, you know especially now, but man, I tell you, it's like people, if you answer someone's question, people respect that a lot. And I can't tell you how many clients I get that they'll send me an email and they'll be like, Hey, I'm interested in your coaching services. I've been following you for two years. I didn't do it. Like that's just because I just put shit out on social media and, and info and stuff. Like I've been following you for two years. I love all your content, but guess what? If they've been following me for two years, they're sold. I didn't yeah. do anything like, yeah, I just provided value. If they, if they've been following me that long and they're reaching out for coaching, they're most likely going to sign up. Yeah. You know? So, so and those yeah. are the types of clients that I want. Like I want that type of client. You know that's, what I mean? I don't know if you're a professional wrestling fan, um, but that's how Joe DeFranco got triple H. Okay. There he, you go. He put out free content for years and triple H just started using it. And it clicked with him. And the next thing you know, he's calling DeFranco in Jersey. Triple H is in uh, Connecticut. It's a two-hour drive, but it's a two-hour drive to train Triple H. Yeah. I think that's like, grow your business. Yeah. Triple H is like, man, this stuff works great. I would love to see what you could do for me working one-on-one. I bet you it would be awesome. You know what I mean? And boom. I actually, yeah, Joe's a cool guy. He was at one of the seminars I went to, I don't remember where it was, but um, Derek's a, Derek likes professional wrestling. We know that. Yes, my we know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Derek would be a big nerve for that. But uh, Austin, I'm going to let go ahead. I know you're about to say something. No, I was going to say one last thing. Uh, one of my buddies, he's coming up this weekend for, he does like 
therapy and stuff. And he has one of those newbie machines. Have you seen those? They're badass. Oh you've God. Seen yeah. Um, but he actually works on like Samoa Joe and like uh, um, Batista. And oh, wow. All those guys. And um, so he he was sending like some videos and stuff to Derek and sending like some autograph shit from those guys. Awesome. Oh, I'm not like a huge, but I was like, that's badass. You get to work with those guys. That is very bad. That's pretty sweet. I want to get on one of those. Yeah. I feel like if you can get one and they're definitely not cheap, they're like a used car payment. Um, yes. If you, yes can get, if you can get one of those, uh, I feel that can actually boost up your training business even more because you have something that's not available to other people. And now that people are getting on it, uh, especially if you have an injury, because now we're talking pro sports applications, uh, that's yep. going to be very, very interesting. Yeah, it's gonna. You're gonna see it popping up. I'm, I hear that there's gonna be some price changes and like, like uh, leasing options, like payment options and stuff coming out. So as soon as that shit starts happening, you better believe more people will get them. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So Austin, before we let you go, I want you to plug your podcast. Uh, I want you to plug any way that people can get in contact with you, even for mentorship opportunities. Where can they get in contact with you at? Uh, for things of that nature. Yeah, sure. So on my my Instagram and my Facebook, both in the bio, there's a link tree. So the link tree has like my podcast, it has YouTube channel, um, you know, all that stuff's on there. So you can find everything in one spot. Um, I'm under Austin Stout on Facebook. I have right now, I change my profile picture periodically. Right now I have a sweet handlebar mustache. It's one of my favorite profile oh, okay. so far yeah now on instagram yep that's my instagram so it's at austin st then the number eight um little you know stage pick on there you'll see me there and uh yeah you can see that link tree that blue link at the bottom so that'll have yeah that'll have like uh youtube channel website morphogen stuff facebook page oh yeah all that shit's on there so you can find me there Easiest way to contact me is just email. If you want to ask questions, go to the email. I can answer anything directly. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Um, I know you're busy, so I'm going to let you go because I got to do this nighttime cardio and see where we're at in a few weeks. I'm going <laughs> to keep trying. I'm going to keep trying. But thank you for joining us. Guys, if you want to reach out to Austin, please follow some of the links. Uh, that are in the video description and GE man, just thank you for joining us. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thanks for thinking of me. Uh, good luck with the podcast. I'm sure you guys will do well. Yeah, I'm trying, man. I'm trying. It's kind of noisy, but um, the, the landscape for podcasting is kind of noisy and I don't have a name, so it's going to take longer, but as long as I keep getting guests like you and others that I've had on the show, uh, I think it'll grow. Yeah, for sure. Just just put out good shit and and have a, you know, know how to talk and you you guys will be good. Yeah, we'll be OK. I appreciate it. So for Austin Stout, Vaughn, a team, I'm Larry Brown and we'll see you on the next episode.